Um, my name is Jamie. This is interesting. I've never spoken into a microphone before. I'm a recovering bulimic, a compulsive eater, a compulsive overeater, a wannabe anorexic. <laughs> um, I'm a food addict. Hi. Um, first of all, a couple things. First of all, I'm taking my shoes off because I'm not standing up for 40 minutes of talking. OA is home for me, so guess what? I'm making myself at home. Um, I want to thank May for asking me. I want to thank May for asking me to speak. Um, I am filled with gratitude at this point in my life, beyond beyond my wildest dreams. Um, for those of you that, that don't know me, um, obviously I'll start out with what it was like. And this is my story. This is what has worked for me. It's not what works for anybody else. Um, and what a long, strange trip it has been. Um, I came into the program, just to give you that little piece of information first, in 1986. I was 20 years old. I was binging and purging, over-exercising, having ridiculous relationships, <laughs> drinking and drugging, and I bottomed out big time with depression. So my story, the, my eating disorder and my depression are very closely intertwined. I don't know which came first, I'll be honest. I still don't, and you know what? It doesn't matter. It just matters that I'm here and I have a program. Um, I've always been between 120 and 140. 118 was what I really wanted to be. That was my cool weight. Um, kind of up and down, you know, over the years. So I've been here 16 years. Um, okay, so let's go back to what it, what it was like. Um, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and um, I was brought up Jewish. I am Jewish. Um, that's a big part of my story, too, because I had a lot of shame and feelings about being Jewish. Um, I consider myself a Judist, a spiritual Jewish Buddhist, <laughs> for whatever that's worth. Um, my mother is an amazing woman, amazing woman. She also smothered me rather than mothered me. She loved me too much, if that's possible. My father is a good man in his, in his heart. I really believe that. And he did the best that he could. He um, is not emotionally available. He's just not. And as a kid, I spent a lot of time trying to get him to notice me, trying to do the best whatever to get him to notice me and um, when I first came into these rooms I went on a retreat and I remember we did this thing where we kind of did a regression a past life regression thing this was in Atlanta and I had this this thought that came to me that I really believe was something from my higher power that my dad wanted me to be a boy and I think a lot of my issues around my inosaur have to do with the fact that once I hit 13, got my period, and started looking like a woman, I didn't want to be a woman. I wanted to be a little boy, so my daddy would love me. I don't know why I'm talking with a southern accent, because I'm not southern. Um, so my father was emotionally unavailable. He was available to me on the tennis court, playing catch. I played little league. He was the coach. Um, he was available to me to hang out and listen to sports on the radio on the porch. My mother was 
into the arts, into culture, into clothes, bright, funny. So I had these these extremes. So that's all I knew. You know, that's all I knew. And I remember I was either with my mom or with my dad. I don't really remember a lot of, like, family happenings, really. I have two brothers that are three and four years younger than I am. Amazing individuals. One of them um, suffers from this disease and has been in, in program and is currently not in program, but he has found his own way. Um, my other brother has Crohn's disease, which i got to tell you, I think there's some similarities to that in addiction. I really do. It almost took him from us. I mean, he has had such a horrible ride with that. And the dynamics of that in a family with whoever was the sickest, got the most attention <laughs> was pretty crazy. I mean, I didn't know any of this, you know, when I was going, when I was living in it, but going back and looking at it, I was bulimic. My other brother was drinking and drugging and getting thrown out of his prom. Then my other brother was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. I mean, and then my, one of my, 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 the first brother tried to overdose. I mean, it's like, okay, who can top, who can top the other one? You know, and granted, you know, kids do what kids do. And, um, as, as painful as some of the things are that I've done in my past, they got me where I am today. So I'm grateful for them. Um, so I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I was very athletic. I was a tall, skinny kid. Tall, first of all, that's hilarious because I, like, I guess I stopped like <laughs> at eight. <laughs> um, I used to go to tennis camp, talk about addiction, 10 hours a day. Let's go. Play, play, play. I mean, that's insane, you know, but at the time, it, it, that's what I did, and my dad thought it was cool, and I had to win, because then I would be the best, and my dad would love me, and you know what? I never really won. <laughs> I had fun. I did okay, but I was not the best, um, and I went to a, um, a public school into about the fifth grade, and I was pretty normal. I had lots of friends. I was really outgoing. I was very, um, I was a very playful, lively kind of kind of kid. And then there was a big school strike, and I remember this because I remember it was a. I don't remember how it happened, but everybody had to go to different schools because the public schools shut down and they weren't opening up, and we were psyched. But <laughs> no, my parents decided you're going to private school, so I, they put me in, a, in an all-girls school. So here I am in an all-girls school wearing a uniform and playing Little League on the side. <laughs> Still trying to be a boy, but I had to wear a little skirt and a prim top. And you would think that by wearing a uniform, there wouldn't be comparisons to weight and body image because everybody wore the same thing. Oh, no. We all knew what size skirt you wore. And in the wintertime, when we wore pants, those Levi's tags said it all. <laughs> we used to scratch them out. And it's so sad to me to think back to how much time I spent looking at what size you wore and what size you wore and I'm too fat and you're, you're so much prettier and, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, what I could have been living my life. So that's about, I guess, when I was about I'm trying to think, 12, which I think was probably, what, 6th, 7th grade, I went away to camp for the first time. I went to tennis camp. 
that's what I did. <laughs> and I went with my best friend, um, who was extremely developed at that age. I was not. I was. I had no boobs. This is big taped. I can't believe I said boobs. <laughs> Um, and she was just, she was developed. Anyway, we went away to camp, and, um, I didn't feel good one day on the tennis court, and I didn't know what was going on, and they took me to the, to the, uh, infirmary, and I got my period. And I was so ashamed, and I didn't, scared, and I didn't know what to do. And they did what they do. They sent me back down to the court with a bag, got me some clean stuff, and I was standing there with this little bag with my friends, and everyone, of course, wanted to know what was in the bag. So what did I tell them? Pretzels. Pretzels. I don't know why I said pretzels, but it was my clean clothes. It wasn't pretzels. And that night was the first night I remember binging. I remember going back to my dorm room with my friend, and we had these care packages, and I remember shoving food into my mouth and going to the canteen and ordering pizza after pizza after slice, I guess, of pizza at that point in time. And I, could, I just I was overwhelmed. I didn't know what to do. I felt like a bad person. And I called my mom, and God bless her, what she said to me was, you can get on a plane and come home right now if you want to. And... You know, in retrospect, that made me feel like I wasn't okay. You know, my um, my cousin just had, was just about mitzvah. She was 13. And I was thinking when I was back in Pennsylvania for that event how, first of all, kids are so different today than they were when we were 13. But, you know, that's, it should be a celebration, you know. It should be something that's exciting and new and wonderful. And I don't even think that, my parents never even talked to me about sex prior to that point. So that set the stage for me. And that's why I wanted to mention the whole male-female thing, because I was a little boy, and then I hit puberty. And at that point on, I really noticed my father didn't know how to deal with me. He did not know how to deal with me. And my mother was overweight. And I truly believe that my, I felt like my father was more attracted to me than he was to my mother, and that is not a good feeling. And it probably was true. Not that it means that I was abused sexually, but that energy was there. And whenever I hear people talk about being um, molested, I just get this creepy feeling because it feels like... If, I, I believe, for me, that I was emotionally incested by my mother because my mother used to tell me things about my father that she shouldn't have been telling me. So that combined with that weird sexual energy for me kind of started this whole weird head trip. Okay, so that's early teens. I was in an all-girls school. Um, I had an opportunity to go to a, to a prep school, which was <laughs> predominantly boys. <laughs> but you had to take a test, and it was this big deal, and... I got in, and I went, and um, I continued um, compulsively overeating until that point. I started high school. There were, I think it was 25% women and 75% men. And let me tell you, they were good-looking men. <laughs> and I was like, after being in a girls' school, I got a lot of attention, and I did not know what to do with it. 
I had no idea what to do with it. Um, I was playing on the t- I was on the tennis team and I was very athletic and I was very involved my freshman year. And I guess it got to a point where I just couldn't handle the attention. I couldn't handle. I was growing. It was like I was growing up too fast or something. I wasn't prepared. I didn't have the tools. Um, my high school was like a college. There was no um, schedule, really. It was like a class in the morning, three hours free, and another class. Well, I had no discipline as an addict, zero. So you throw me into a situation like that, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I'm lucky I didn't do drugs and, you know, fly off the deep end at that age because there were a lot of kids in my high school that were, at that age, really into hardcore drugs. So I continuously, compulsively overate. I remember eating my, my um, I'd bring my lunch to school on the bus. I'd eat it on the bus. <laughs> Get there and eat lunch at, at lunch. And then I'd have like a third lunch. And I'd stay after school and we'd have sports. And then I'd eat again on the bus. And then I'd come home and I'd, I would never eat dinner with my family because I'd eaten all day. And I'd go home and I'd spend the evening in my room reading magazines and dreaming about what I was going to look like <laughs> and what I was going to be when I grew up and move to California and become famous. And... Um, you know, that was kind of what my first couple of years were like. And my sophomore year, I remember, I was having a conversation with them. Um, with it was a guy, actually. And we were talking about our weight and our bodies. And and um, he said to me, you know, you don't have to keep that food down. You can get rid of it. And that was the first time I thought, wait, you mean I can throw it up? And that was it. So I became bulimic at that point. That was my sophomore year in high school. And let me tell you, once you start doing that, at least for me, and it's been a really long time, thank God, but once you start doing that behavior, it is so addictive. It's like that release of energy and emotion, and and I just didn't want to feel what I was feeling. So I would numb out with the food, and then I would get rid of it, and then I'd feel even worse. And it was a vicious, vicious cycle. And um, it was just horrible. It was really, really horrible. And um, I managed to get through high school doing that. Um, I wasn't very social at a certain point because I couldn't be. I didn't want to be. I never felt pretty enough. I never felt worthy. Um, I had issues at that point with religion and spirituality because I was Jewish and I went to a prep school and everybody there was not pretty much not Jewish and the boys weren't allowed to date the Jewish girls and I wanted to date them and I felt like well, what's wrong with me you know not only am I too fat and not pretty enough but I'm Jewish you know all this crazy stuff and I didn't know who to tell I didn't know who to talk to about this stuff so that was high school um, graduated from high school, still binging and purging. Um, while I was in high school, I actually let me let me just go backtrack a little bit. I um I had my first serious boyfriend, um, who was absolutely wonderful. And my junior year, he was a senior, I was a junior. We went to England on a class trip, and two things I remember about that England trip. One was I lost my virginity. The other was I binged my way through England. I can tell you that Bath has the best <laughs> donuts, <laughs> cookies, whatever. I mean, I was 17 years old, and I, I binged my way through England. So 
to kind of, because sexuality for me is very tied into this stuff. So food and sex, oh, let's start off right there together, you know, at the same time. So I graduated from high school and um, was looking at colleges and I was looking at a school up north in the snow or one in the south. And I thought, well, I could go to the one in the north and wear heavy clothes and no one would have to see what my body looks like, but I don't ski, so that's a problem. Or I could go to school in the South and get on the tennis team and I'd have to be skinny because I'd be outside all the time and it's really hot. And that would make me be strict with my exercise and my food, blah, blah, blah. So I ended up going to school in the South and I played on the tennis team. And I managed to stay on the tennis team for one semester, at which point... I had a nervous breakdown. I could not handle where my life was going. I left I left high school, got drunk for the first time my high school graduation. I'd never drank in my life. I don't know why. And I was pissed at my friends that they didn't make me try it to college and it, you know it was just I mean there was alcohol everywhere there was accessibility to drugs you know there was no schedule I was on the tennis team and I was so miserable because I could feel my legs rubbing together on the tennis court and I hated that and I thought I can't play tennis and my legs rub together on the tennis court I mean okay how many people in this world have legs that don't rub together especially when it's 95 degrees and humid but that's how I thought and I was so obsessed with it that I couldn't you know I couldn't function so I left college my freshman year. I went home for Thanksgiving, and I swore to myself I wasn't going to binge and purge. And I got through dinner, and dessert came, and I broke my promise. And I stayed home for a month, and I got help. And my mom decided I needed to take a trip to Mexico and get some sun, and then I would be fine, and I could go back to school. So I did. And then I um, bought them out even more. And I ended up going to my first OA meeting in May of 1986. I had a therapist who was amazing. She was from California, actually. And um, I remember I had binged and purged in the morning, and I went to see her. I think I had like a 1 o'clock appointment, and I I left the meeting. And when I was walking out the door, I looked her in the eye, and I said, I didn't get to eat what I wanted to this morning. I want to binge again today. And she said, you know what? You're going to walk yourself to that treatment center tonight and check yourself in. And I was like, what? And she said, do you want it to get better? And I didn't know what the answer was. But I went. I lasted two days. Two days. A year and a half later, I was finally on my knees and I was willing to go. And I entered into an outpatient treatment center. And part of that treatment center, you had to go to OA meetings. Thank God. Thank God I had to go to OA meetings. And that's where I found you guys. So my first abstinence date was December 2nd, 1987. Oh, God. A lifetime ago. So that's, that's what it was like. Um, what happened was I was able to kind of, when I'm in the structure and there's other people in the structure, I'm able to follow the rules but I always want to be a little bit different. I'm terminally unique, you know. You know that. Um, I chewed a piece of gum 
and I told on myself. And I had to go in front of this committee of people and tell them that I chewed a piece of gum. It was the most humiliating, one of the most humiliating things I've ever had to do in my entire life. And to this day, those little things, it's like, I just want to get away with something. I just want to get away with something. But rigorous honesty for me has been crucial because I'll do that stuff. You know, I'll do the little whatever to be a little bit different and be a little bit rebellious or whatever. Um, so I got my first sponsor who was so mean. <laughs> she was so mean. She, oh, she'd yell at me and she'd tell me to do this and do that. And I didn't know any better. I thought they were all like that. And um, then I realized they weren't. And I, and I found somebody else who was codependent. <laughs> she was so nice. You know, and then <laughs> and she wanted to go to meetings with me and to treatment with me. And I thought, oh, that's cool. It's like my mom. <laughs> she ended up leaving the program. So my third sponsor really, really is the one that I remember working the steps with and going through the big book and, and doing all that kind of stuff. And I was, I was in college. And um, it was hard. I mean, everybody was drinking and having fun and... I was like in this place of like, I'm not an adult, but I'm not a kid. I feel very adult in a lot of ways, but I also feel like I don't know anything. <laughs> and um, it was really hard, but I, I had to go to meetings every single day, every single day, and take naps between lunch and dinner or I was going to eat. I mean, that's some of the first couple of years of my program look like. Get up, have breakfast, go to, go to school, come back, have lunch, take a nap, <laughs> go to school, go to a meeting, come home. That's all I could do. And um, after the first two years, I felt a reprieve that I could actually have a relationship and that I could, um, you know, I had my first real job and I could be successful and all that kind of stuff. But it was, it was hard, you know, and I understand now in retrospect, you know, when people say your first year, don't date. Date yourself. Do not date anybody else. I wasn't going to listen to that. You know, and I was so happy that my therapist, um, who was a huge supporter of OA, she said, you know what, you're, you'll date, you won't date, you're going to have the same issues no matter what, so you're going to do what you're going to do. And, and, and I'm glad, in retrospect, that she allowed me to make that choice on my own, because for me, the beauty of this program is that you don't tell me what to do. You make suggestions, and I take what I want, and I leave the rest. And I don't always take the best parts at first because <laughs> I don't want them. I'm not ready for them. But I can always come back and you're not going to judge me. <sighs> what time is it? Six. 15 minutes. Okay. Um, so two years into my program, things were going pretty well. Um, I, I was a reporter. <laughs> Made no money. But I loved my job. I had deadlines, which was crucial for me. Every day I had daily deadlines. And I look back and I think how funny that is because I never wanted to be told what to do. And here I had a deadline every day. But I need that. I need someone to set a boundary for me. I mean, until I learned to be able to set them for myself. And um, in this program, I also became in touch with my creativity. I became really creative. And one of the coolest things about being in recovery um, for 16 years is that 
I am today so much like I was right before I started using. I'm like that effervescent child that's like excited about life and wants to have fun and is interested and curious and um, it's really funny how my higher power works because I'm dating someone I knew when I met him when I was 12 at camp and he has four kids and those kids I see myself in those kids you know I'm going to cry because it's God it's been such a long long road um so recovery was tough at the beginning um, and then they start, the program started they, they say this and, and I remember hearing this the program starts to work you my absence after six years right before my seventh birthday and that was really really difficult because in Atlanta, a very different OA program from here. Very much smaller, very intimate. Everyone, you know, everyone went to like the same meetings, and people—not like they put you on a pedestal—but it was really humbling, and really, um, it was important for my recovery when I look back. But you know, to have six years and all of a sudden have none, <laughs> no time, was really quite mind blowing, and. Um, it was at that point that I started on my spiritual quest because I realized that I didn't quite get that third prong. Like, I got the physical, I got the emotional, but I didn't quite get the spiritual. And it was so cool because I found out that there was an opportunity to go to Israel on this singles mission. So sure, relationships and religions, <laughs> let's go. And I was sharing about it in a meeting, and this girl comes up to me after the meeting, and we were friendly in program. We knew each other. And she said, I'm going on the same trip. So I had an OA person as my roommate on my trip to Israel in recovery. It was so freaking cool. And she and I are really good friends to this day. She moved to Boulder. Um, but I went to Israel, and I didn't feel like it was my homeland. <laughs> um, it's a cool place. And... You know, I embraced my, my Judaism as a cultural thing, but this, then I, that's when I really got that the spirituality in this program is what, I, what, what resonates with me. It really does. That everything's energy, and my high power is nature, and I hear God through you, 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 and you. Um, if I'm open and aware and not using, I get what I need. I don't get what I want all the time, but I get what I need. And... Um, So I started embarking on my spiritual path. I mean, I was six years in the program, and I still I hadn't gotten the spiritual thing. I and I still am like, day on Sundays I'm like, is there really a God? You know, would God have these wars? And you know, I mean, I can make myself crazy. So, and I am crazy. That's why I'm here. Um, you know, for me, it all comes back to it's one day at a time. You know. All I have is this present moment. You know, I remember someone telling me, one foot in the past and one foot in the future, and you're pissing on today. <laughs> that was really funny, and it's very graphic, but it made sense to me. You know, it really made sense to me. And um, so for me, spirituality is, is really learning how to stay in the present moment and be awake and be aware. And... Um, so let's fast forward. I moved out to California five years ago, 
with high aspirations of being in the business. And um, I am in the business, kind of, sort of, but I'm of service. I support people that are in the business. And at this point in my life, I think that's where my higher power wants me to be. I don't think I could have handled being the star. I really don't. Um, and it's hard because sometimes I want to be the talk show host. I don't want to be the one who's bringing the client on the show. Um, but, you know, that was my path early on and it's not my path right now. And if it's meant to be my path later on, so be it. But for right now, I'm meant to be of service. And it feels really good being of service. Um, I can't give what I have. I can't keep what I have unless I give it away. And I can do that in my work. I can do that with my sponsees. I can do that with my friends. Um, I don't take for granted anything in life anymore. Um, because, like I said early on, my eating disorder and my depression are very closely linked. And I've been suicidal several times um, throughout my program. And this time last year, I didn't want to be here. I actually came to a meeting in this room with my sponsor, who's an AA and OA. She brought me to a meeting here and she said, I just want you to, to come to an AA meeting and I want you to really hear the solution. And I was taking direction at that point. Tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. And it's interesting, a year later, I'm in the same room and I'm speaking. And um, I mean, this past year has kind of been like a mini version of my story in retrospect. Um, so on a daily basis, what I do is um, I show up. I try to get out of my own way. <laughs> I ask for help. Um, I work with others. I typically eat... I try to eat without guilt. I'd like to say I eat three meals a day with nothing in between, with life in between. I don't do that every day. <laughs> That's on a fabulous 10 plus day um, I try to be of service in any way that I can and I take time for myself which I used to think was very selfish and I hated that people would think I was being selfish or egotistical and I know that if I don't take time for myself I don't have anything to give you I just don't and It's amazing to me how, and I think I'll wrap it up with this, is that I told, I told you all that I'm in a relationship right now with somebody who I knew when I was 12. Well, he was in a relationship with his ex-wife for 16 years, and I've been in these rooms 16 years having a marriage with myself. And I really feel like he's my partner. I've never been in a relationship where I felt like someone was my partner, someone who would like support me so I can go out there and do my thing and come back and they like are rooting for me and not wanting to keep me down or not telling me that I'm not good enough or, or not wanting me to be something that I'm not. Um, I didn't think that that was possible, but it is. And I need to keep coming back because I forget that on a daily basis, that all I have is today, but that anything is possible. So thanks for letting me share. Questions?
Okay. Hi, thank you for a share tonight. You mentioned that a year ago, about this time, you said that you just did not want to be here. And you said that your sponsor brought you to a meeting and that you had the solution. Could you describe a little bit about that moment or about that period of not wanting to be here and what specific steps of action brought you through that time? To get through it? Sure. Okay. It's a very long question, but I think... I think what you're asking, and, and you tell me if, if I'm on target, is in that in that in that place of darkness. What action steps do you take to get out? Which one's right? You you said that you were at that point, okay, of not wanting to to be here, okay. Um, what did that feel like for you? What was that experience like for you? How did it manifest? Right. How did it manifest? And what specific steps of action did you take to get through that time? How it manifests for me, um, and, and this is my experience yet again, at some point I give my power away. And I'm not even aware of when I give my power away. I was in a relationship at the time, and this person I thought was it. I gave my power away, and I shut down. I couldn't get out of bed. I, could, I was in a fetal position. I could not get out of bed. I also, today, choose to take, I take antidepressants. I've been on and off of them since I was 18. I had chosen last year in the fall to go off of them because I was feeling really good. The man I was dating encouraged me to stay off of them. Big mistake for me. Big mistake. If I had gone back on them when I trusted my gut to know that I needed to go back on them, I wouldn't have been as, bad. I wouldn't have been as depressed as I was. I really believe for me that it's chemical. I don't know if it's because I've binged and purged so long that it screwed up my system or whether it's just chemical. But what I did was I had the love and support of friends of mine in and out of program, one who's here tonight who has seen me go through hell and back. Um, and I found a sponsor who's the woman who brought me here who is no longer lives in Atlanta but is coming to stay with me next week who has such a similar story to mine and she loved me through it. She was so gentle and so kind and so giving, and she did not make me feel bad about. I couldn't. I couldn't even go out of bed to take a walk. I couldn't work. I felt like I could never do anything again. And cognitive stuff doesn't work for me. I can't think my way out of this nightmare. It's a spiritual solution. And I do have outside therapy. I go to a, um, a therapist who's actually a Buddhist, and I meditate and. Not as much as I should. <laughs> um, but what I've learned, ooh, sorry, is that prayer and meditation, prayer is asking the question and meditation is listening for the answer. And I had a lot of time to sit and listen when I was in that space. And I really think that I needed that because I really believe, too, that the depression is anger turned inward. And I was pissed at myself because I let this person disrespect me so I hope that answers your question thank you for your share mm-hmm. um, you mentioned something about losing your accent mm-hmm. what, what accent what was it then what is it now um, well as a bulimic the question was who what was the question <laughs> what what happened when I lost my abstinence what is happening for me today um 
My absence at that time, before I lost it, was three meals a day, life in between, snacks if I need it, and I finished and perched. Um, today, that's my, my abstinence, although it's not as strict. Um, when I started out, it was very strict, no caffeine, no, no sweet and low, none of that stuff. That doesn't work for me to be so strict. It makes me even more crazy. Um, that's my experience. Um, I do eat sugar on occasion, not all the time. Um, what I've learned over the years is that nothing is a bad food for me. If I call something bad, I'm going to want it that much more. <laughs> so if I, in my head, think, oh, I can have anything I want in moderation, I don't even want it because I don't have it. But it's, it's, been an, it's evolved. And it will probably continue to change for the rest of my life. So I hope that answers your question. Jamie, thank you for for your um, share. And you mentioned that you don't always get what you want, but you get what you need. Uh, How do you handle the disappointment when you get what you want? I don't. I cry. (laughs) How do do I handle disappointment? I guess I've finally come to the point where I realize it's part of life. You know, how I wouldn't really be able to enjoy the good times if I didn't have the negatives to compare it to. Because I've had a lot of really great things, and I've had a lot of really shitty things. Sorry for the flying words. Um, I try to, I try to, in my, and I, and I really started to believe this. It's, I, I believe that things happen for a reason. You know, here's a great example. When I was early on in recovery, right out of, right out of college, I, I was interviewing for this job to be a reporter for this fashion paper. And I wanted the job so badly. And I was, oh, I had to have this job. Well, it was done to me and somebody else, and I didn't get the job. And I was devastated, absolutely devastated. Six months later, I was working as a reporter at a newspaper, and I was watching TV, and there was a fire. The woman that I interviewed with died in the fire. That was my first spiritual experience. <laughs> and I said... Yeah. I've been through a lot with you like this past year as far as like not getting jobs and things like that and I've always been amazed at how you found the strength to think yeah, it's kind of lines of how things could work out the way. Where did you go to get that strength to know that eventually you'd come out on the other side in a better place? These rooms. This program. I mean it's that's the last house on the block for me. You know, I mean therapy helps. But I can come. I can come here every day of the week, pay no money, and hear the solution. How cool is that? The answers just by being quiet, by sitting myself down and closing my mouth and not eating for at least an hour a day. I hear what I need to hear. Mhm. Just, just to clarify, I don't take tranquilizers or any depressants. They're different, uh, but I understand where, where, where you're coming from. Tropics, sure. I don't take any. I can't mm-hmm. take any pills at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what got me to AA. Mm-hmm. Taking things that uh, similar, not the same, because we're talking about 28 years ago. 
I just was trying to yeah. getting lost. Yeah. What about steps? Because you didn't, mm-hmm. you didn't mention the steps. And I apologize for that because they're crucial. And, 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 what, mm-hmm. and did you try the steps? Oh. Before you went to the, uh, I understand you got into a situation, uh, but we hope to um, get, uh, uh, use the steps before we fall into that situation. Mm-hmm. And I've had some very hairy moments over 28 years. Mm-hmm. And with the food, the last 15. Okay. So tell me about the steps. Okay, tell you about the steps. When I first tried taking antidepressants, I wasn't in program, so I didn't know about the steps. Um, I worked the steps, and, you know, it's a very very delicate question, and it's a very individual um, choice. Um, I've gone back and forth on it a lot, feeling like a cop-out because I take meds. Um, I work the steps rigorously at times, not so rigorously at others. When I am in that place of depression and despair where I can't move, in order to even be able to look at the books to work the steps, for me personally, I needed to be on medication. So I thank you for saying that because it's true. I mean, the steps are it. I mean, that's the program. And... You know, sometimes being up here and speaking, I forget to tie everything together. So I appreciate your your getting me back on track. Thank you. I hope that answers your question. talked about it a lot. I'd go to meetings and say, I don't want to be here. You people are nuts. <laughs> You're crazy. And then it would pass. And for me, that's my denial that I really have this disease because I go through that a lot. You know, I want to think that I'm like everybody else, but like, what is like everybody else, you know? Um, so, no, I haven't had to actually relapse um, as a result of kind of thinking the program's not for me. But I have tried other things in conjunction with. My last relationship that I was in, he was in a different spiritual program, not a 12-step program. And I went on a retreat because I knew that if I was going to be with this man for the rest of my life, I needed to understand what his spiritual program was and if, in fact, it would resonate with me. It did not resonate with me at all. And he told me at one point, which should have been my huge red flag, that I needed to make a choice between OA and his spiritual program. Well, guess what my choice was? And that kicked my butt right back into re- to getting even more involved in the stuff and getting that new sponsor. So thank God for him. You know, he was put in my life for a reason. 
I wouldn't have met her. I wouldn't have been back in the program working the steps like I have been this past year. I wouldn't have been reading the big book with my sponsees like I am now. There's a reason things like that happen. I can't see them at the time. I sure as heck couldn't see it last year at this time when I was like in my bed. I thought I was going to marry this man and, and why is he like this guru and, uh, you know. So, yeah. Thank you.